I want you to go with me over to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'll just say this at the outset. Um, our victory is not attached to things we don't know. Our victory is not attached to something that's hidden from us. And our victory is, is not something beyond our grasp. Um, you know, if I were a football coach right now, and I could be like Vince Lombardi tonight, and I could just stand up here and hold up a little, you know, pigskin and ask you what this is, and what would you say it was? It's said it was a football. And uh, the reason he did that, despite victories and despite having a great team, was he wanted to remind his team of the fundamentals. Because, and you can write this down, I guarantee you this will bless you, just write this down somewhere in your heart on a piece of paper. Um, the greatest athletes in the world, it's easy to define them. I don't care if they're swimmers, I don't care if they're football players, if they're baseball players, if they're track stars, basketball, whatever it is, the greatest players have one thing in common in regardless of the sport. They've mastered the fundamentals. We look for some super thing in their lives that's different, you know, from basically, for example, in baseball, it's running and it's hitting and it's throwing and it's catching. It's simple, isn't it? It's just that these people do what? They run faster. They reliably catch more balls. They hit with a better average. I mean, they field in the field. Uh, they do what's supposed to be done. They score runs. Um, in, in golf, it's similar. Well, we won't even talk about golf because I'll lose my salvation tonight if we talk about golf, so we'll just leave that one where it is. But uh, I believe there has to be some kind of super dispensation from heaven to play golf well. We'll just leave that alone. But even in golf, it really is a matter of fundamentals. And, and the victory in your life, victory in your walk with God, being the well, living in victory yourself, but also being a source of victory to others, it's about fundamentals. And uh, I think you're going to hear a lot about that in the body of Christ in the next couple of years. Uh, lots of things that we emphasize here. Lots of things we believe in. We believe in them strongly. How many glad for the things that we believe in? Amen. And we're not going to compromise on those things. But you're going to find it's the fundamentals that will ultimately make you a super victorious Christian or just a mediocre Christian limping along until one day you die and go to heaven. hope you by now have a bigger vision than that. Amen. It's not just surviving, it's thriving. People don't seek out people barely surviving in Christianity and say, would you help me please? I want to, I want to just survive just like you. <laughs> They're going to seek out thrivers, people that are more than conquerors. So um, it's, it's not something we're, we're not familiar with, but you're going to find out that when people master the fundamentals and practice the fundamentals, uh, they're more than conquerors. You know, Michael Jordan was told, well, you know, as a sophomore in high school, you never play ball. I don't even want you on this team. And he practiced, and he practiced, and he shot free throws, and he shot free throws, and he shot free throws, and he practiced, and he practiced. And the, in the lores of basketball history, there are a few as great names as Michael Jordan. But you know what? At that moment when that coach told him, you're never going to make it, I can't have you on this team, he could have decided right then and there to agree with that mouth. Amen. And I'm telling you that there's a mouth that's just as prevalent in your life. Every day getting up telling you what you can't do, what you can't be, what you can't have. And you've got to make sure that you agree with the one that says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. 
So it's in the execution of the what? The fundamentals. He didn't, you know, open up his mailbox one day and there was a magic box. If you'll do what this box says, then you can be the greatest basketball player in the history of basketball. No. He mastered the fundamentals despite somebody's negativity. And that's what you've got to do. Well, the negativity is coming from your own mind, your own heart, from this world, from the devil himself. You've got to stick to the fundamentals. And if you do, nobody can stop you from being a great believer. So it will be nobody can stop me. Paul gives us this uh, admonition in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. That tells you that a Christian can be. Why would the apostle write and say, don't be foolish if it wasn't an issue? Some people probably were being foolish. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, when I read that, and whenever you hear the apostles say, this is the Lord's will, be thankful in all things, this is the Lord's will, our ears should perk up because he's emphatically telling you what God's will is. You know, the, the younger we are, it seems like, you know, going through high school and college, we're asking that question a lot, what's your will, what's your will, what's your will? Well, you should still be pursuing God's will, no matter how old you are. But when the Bible emphatically says, this is God's will, don't pretend then you don't know what God's will is. And this is one of those occasions where you bear down on the Scripture and let the Spirit of God talk to you. It says, understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be drunk on what? Wine. You should settle that issue forever. Uh, that's never going to be God's will for your life. It's never going to be God's best for your life. I can tell you this, you'll never have a high like the Holy Ghost will give you. No matter what you try in this world, nothing's ever going to replace the experiences you can have in the very things that I'm talking about tonight. Do not be drunk on wine where where uh, leads to debauchery or when it's excess. But instead, uh, instead, he's shifting here. That's not the will of God. This is the will of God. In other words, I don't want your well-being filled with things that are perverted and destructive and polluting. I don't want your well filled with things that will compromise my power. Instead, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be what? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, write this down. Uh, if Rick Renner were here today, he'd give you an hour and a half lesson on what that verse actually means. And what it really means, the simple, is be being filled. It's a, it's a participle that tells you that the action should never stop. Every day of your life, you should be being filled with the Spirit of God. What does this tell you? Well, if I stay filled automatically because I'm a Christian and receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit one day, well, then my well is filled in a story. But that's not how this works. Look at somebody and just tell them with a big smile on your face, I'm sorry, but you leak. We have a pond in our land near the road. And uh, we have spoken over that pond. We have rebuked that pond. I mean, everything you can think of to cause water to stay in that pond. Uh, the previous owner of that land years ago actually tried different things. You know, put hogs in there to stir it up and get some clay and some mud in there and thought about putting liners in it. Um, what's happening now is the trees are beginning to overtake. The beautiful trees are beginning to overtake the whole thing. But, you know, there's something at the bottom of that little pond that is not getting into agreement with my authority. Rebellious little pond. I'm about to fill it up. Amen, I'll show you. <laughs> I'll just plant a garden or trees where you are, whatever it is. But there's something there that is what? 
that's causing, you know, the water to be lost in that little body of water. And that thing for you and me is a thing called life. Deal with it. Look at somebody and tell them you're leaking. What does that mean? You have to be always filled. So it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one baptism, say one baptism, but many refillings. How many do we need? You need it every day. You need this well filled for you, and you need this well filled for others. So to talk about when the well runs dry, uh, I'm not talking about uh, you know some pie in the sky thing that may happen to you. This has happened probably to everybody in this room at one time or another. And uh, right now you may feel like you know, you're pretty filled up or doing really well, or you may be scraping the bottom of the barrel. But I want you to know this, everybody in here can do something to get that well filled and keep it filled. In other words, you can keep it going in faster than go out and live from the overflow instead of being defeated in your life. Now, there are some consequences to letting your well run dry. Uh, we don't want to we don't want to allow it to happen to our lives. But the call is to stay full and on the active ready. I can't be on the active ready for others if I'm not staying full myself. There's just no way. I mean, it's just I'm not going to be able to give out what I, I don't have on the inside. And the irony is I can have it last month and not have it today. You could have it today and next week not have it. Doesn't mean you're going to hell. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Doesn't mean you still don't have a desire to please God. It just means that what needs to be on the inside of you at that moment is not there because scriptures like this are not being heeded. Part of it's religion. Part of it's just people being wore out. I mean, we've been through a great battle as a nation, as a people. We continue to go through great battles. And sometimes people, just like Elijah, they get wore out. They don't realize how important it is to stay filled and how much that is a personal responsibility. Oh, pastor, you're the pastor, you have the sermon, you know, you have the service, it's your responsibility to keep our well full. Well, how many understand that I can take you all out to Patty's, which isn't a bad idea? Rodney's going to buy it. Why it's so nice of you? Praise the Lord. Everybody's going to Patty's Sunday. And we can have a, we can go to Patty's every Sunday on Rodney's dime. He's such a sower. <laughs> Better talk to Kat Kelly about that first. And we can have the greatest meal in the world on Sunday and not eat Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. What's going to happen to you? Huh? You mean to tell me you're comparing your sermons to Patty's? You're queer. Amen. Full spread. Glory to God. And the service is better. Amen. You, you just have to realize that that's a part of it. You know, the services are to, to come together in corporate anointing to worship God. Uh, to be spurred on, the Bible says in Hebrews, to love and good works. That's why we come together. And, uh, you know, I'm part of the spurring process. But to keep the well filled doesn't happen on Sunday mornings. And there are a lot of Christians today in this world don't even have that. You say, for what reasons? There's all kinds of reasons, but the bottom line is the end uh, of this is a well that's not where it needs to be. You can't be the best version of yourself for yourself and your family or the best version of yourself for those that are out there with needs unless the well is full. So we're to be being filled with the Spirit of God. Notice what it says in verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Amen? What is this talking about? It's an interesting thing. You may have grown up in a church that told you it was ungodly to have musical instruments in the service. 
I want you to look at a particular word where it says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That word psalm literally means to sing while being in company with a stringed instrument. Uh, so no worship instruments were not just used in the Old Testament. This literally means to play. So when our guitarists are up there jamming for Jesus, perfectly scriptural. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Everybody look at someone and say jamming for Jesus. That's a good thing, isn't it? But this is what you're doing. Your bee being filled. This is how you're actually bee being filled. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a spirit there of reverence there for God and for one another. Now, what you saw there were all things attached to what we historically call and traditionally call and even religiously call your personal walk with God or your devotional life. Write this down, the devotional life of the believer. That's where the well is filled and maintained. Um, There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you don't have a quality devotional life, your well is not going to be filled. You say, well, if you'll just preach another 20 messages on the well, then I'll be filled. It's not going to work for you. You have to do the things that are going to cause your well to be filled and stay filled. There's a corporate part of this, and there's a personal side of this. And and what's needed right now is for people to develop that personal walk with God like they never have before. And I promise you this, not only will you be the well, you'll be the best version of yourself. You'll, be, you'll function at the highest level mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, in every way if you have what you need. And so this is, this is not a condemnation zone. This is not about a judgment thing. I'm just giving you what's, what's being prompted in my spirit in the context of the message on the well that you get back to if you're kind of forsaken this. And if you've never had a quality devotional life, I'm going to help you tonight get one. But then it's up to you to do it. Because I can't do it for you. All I can do is just kind of point the way and tell you that this will have great uh, you know, uh, production in your life, great results in your life, but you have to actually do that. The first quality decision is it's, it's not because of the pastor or the board or because of the deacons or because of the Sunday school teachers or because of the musicians. This is, this is squarely between you and the Lord. In fact, when the connection breaks, remember what we talked about? We talked about how you have to have revelation on the well. Understanding of empowerment, connection, availability. We've talked about all these things. When that connection breaks, the well runs dry. Unlike my pond, I know why we run dry, spiritually. You understand what I'm saying to you? Something We've allowed something to break our connection and our flow and our devotional walk with God. It could be a life, a circumstance, a challenge, a sickness, you know, when people are battling uh, life-threatening disease or they're going through a really tough time, it's real easy just to kind of brush through that part of your life. That's the biggest mistake you can make. Because without that devotional life, uh, you're not going to have the strength to fight for people. You're not going to have the wherewithal uh, to, to deal with some things. And there's people in this room that have dealt with some things, and, and thank God they, they, they drew inward rather than ignoring these things you know, in their life. Say it with me, when the connection breaks... The well runs dry. What happens when the connection breaks? What happens? The well runs dry. We all all know what the well is, don't we? What happens when the connection breaks? The well runs dry. So if I want the well filled up again, reestablish the connection. 
and keep the connection flowing in my own personal walk with God. This is why um, we say this is not about what everybody else is doing. It's about what you're doing. It's about prioritizing your personal walk with God above everything else. Nobody can do that for you. I can tell you to do it. I can show you how to do it. But you have got to do it. Go to Luke 10. We've never been there before, but let's just journey over to Luke 10 for a moment. Yes, Shazam. How did you know? Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. That's nice, isn't it? She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted, look at that, by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has let me to do the work by myself? Now, how many of you all know there's probably a, a tinge of sarcasm in her voice? You see what happens when you let the well run dry? You start bossing the Lord around, moving right along. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she had to say. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has let me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now watch this. He's Lord. You're not Lord. He tells you what to do. You don't tell him what to do. But when the well runs dry and you've not been walking in devotion, I guess what you start doing? Well, Lord, you out of this, you out of that, and you should sick them, Lord. By the way, destroy those people over there. Amen. Give them what they've got. You'll find out just how judgmental you can be when you disconnect from that living and vital union to the point where you're even now sitting in the seat of lordship again. What does this mean? You shoved him off the throne of your life and put yourself over here, literally telling the creator of the universe, tell my sister to help me. Huh? There could be a greater contrast between one who's connected and one who's disconnected. Amen? Don't you care? I mean, no, he does care. Martha, Martha. It's just like Grandma. When Grandma was mad at you and she called you by your full name, she's in trouble here. Amen? Uh, except for my Grandma Hines, she, uh, she can never remember our names. So she'd just call us by every name. Jamie, Tammy, Gary, Art. You know, just one of them. It's bound to be right. But you know as well as I do, when they call you by your first name, middle name, and last name, you're not, you're not about to receive a compliment. In other words, your full name is not a term of endearment. It's a term of rebuke. It's a setup for correction. And uh, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're what? Worried and upset about many things. See there, Martha, there's no joy, there's no peace. But only one thing is what? Is needed. What is that one thing? The very thing tonight, connecting so that your well stays filled. Not housework, not responsibilities. Those things are always going to be there. There's always going to be a job, always going to be something else to do with the house, always going to be something in the yard needs to be corrected. But one thing what? One thing is needed. Now you should understand what that means. One thing is essential. Is it nice to have a house that's perfectly manicured? Yes, but it's not essential. Is it nice to have a perfectly manicured yard? Yes, but not at the expense of the well. 
See, what we're doing is we're, we're elevating things that may be important to us as essential. And according to the Lord, only what? One is at that level. And that's your personal walk with God. Amen. Say it with me. I'm not getting condemned. I'm not being judged. I'm being exhorted. It's in the pastor's job description to exhort the people of God. Are you here tonight? Um, all these things may be important, but they're not essential. If you cut yourself off of the thing that is essential, then everything else is going to suffer. Even the things you think that are important are not going to be done. If they're done, they're not going to be done right. I mentioned this before. This is not to tell you that you should do what Luther did, but he just said, you know, if I don't pray four hours a day, I can't get anything done. That sounds absolutely preposterous to the carnal mind. And this is a day before technology, right? There's no word processing. Everything he wrote, the amazing volumes he wrote by hand, by dim light. What was he saying? He was saying is, unless I have that connection, unless my well is full, I can't get anything done. Amen? How many things are essential? One. One. Watch this. Mary has chosen what is better. Choosing the essential, it's a choice. Putting the essential over the important is a choice. Putting the essential over the urgent is what? A choice. Who makes the choice? He said, Martha made a choice. You made a choice. What Mary has done is chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. No, I'm not going to tell her to step away from the Word of God to go get pots and pans. Are you here tonight? Look at this. It was a choice. So uh, without insulting me or you tonight, if the well has run dry, that was a choice. You chose to let your well run dry. Well, I don't like that. Well, there's lots of things I preach you don't like. That's not the point. Flesh doesn't like a lot of things. But if our well has run dry, I don't care what your role is in the body of Christ, from apostle, you know, down to first, you know, a believer that's been born again a week. If we've let the well run dry, it was a choice, just like it was for Martha. Martha, you're worried and upset about a lot of things. You chose what was less than essential. Your sisters chose what is essential, but the bottom line is you both made a choice. Amen. Come on, confess it. I'm choosing to stay connected. We must all maintain that intimate relationship with Christ. It is a choice. It is the one thing that is essential. It should be more important to you than even your oxygen that you breathe. When you get that revelation, it'll change your, your priorities and how you live your life. Amen. The story of Elijah tells us, and we went through that a couple weeks ago with availability. I just want to point this out, that he went through a lot physically, spiritually, won great battles, and then was threatened by Jezebel for his life. And immediately he began to run away, and he went to a place he was not called to go to. I just point that out to you to tell you that, uh, that what I'm talking about tonight can happen to the best of us. It can happen to anybody in this room life experiences and circumstances, and all of a sudden the well is dry. 
And we should look at this, and that doesn't discount all the amazing things God did in his life or the amazing things God's doing or has done in your life. It's simply saying that, that you've got to watch this, that nobody is to the point where they don't have to you know, guard the heart and maintain the level of the well. Um, I'm glad he came back, aren't you? He finished his course. He anointed kings and appointed his successor and finished out his course faithful to God. But notice this. Um, all along, he was available and obedient to God. And just like that, when the well ran dry, he was incapable at that point in time of doing what God wanted him to do. It's pretty telling that a mighty prophet like that can let his well run dry. How did that happen? Serving, 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 and then boom. Matthew 5, 6 tells us, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be what? They'll be filled. Do you believe that tonight? If you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, the, the odd thing, though, is the more you neglect that one thing, the more you neglect connection, the more you'll lose your appetite for it. Mark 6.31, go there with me just briefly, and then I'm going to talk to you about some signs your well has run dry. Not that you need any, but... Jesus obviously picking up on what's going on with them physically. But in uh, Mark 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered together around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me, what? By yourselves to a quiet place and get some what? Get some rest. Come where? With me. That hasn't changed. The key to your restoration today is still getting away with him. Personal retreats are, are wonderful. I've practiced that for years. But there needs to be a daily retreat into him away from everything in your life. And find that place. For some people, it is literally a closet. For some people, it's a room. For some people, you know, it's, it's a part of a house or whatever. Uh, you're always welcome to come here and, and, and make a place for yourself in, the, in these facilities. They're here physically, whether someone's here or not. Um, if it's a problem because there's so much distraction and noise, you can take advantage of being a part of this ministry, and there's lots of places you can find to just seek the Lord, including right here if you want to. But notice that uh, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some what? Get some rest. Now hold on to that word rest, and then go to Matthew 11. You've often heard us talk about this, and you've often read it yourself. Matthew 11, with gun smoke back on the air, I can't help but say, Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 11, when you're there, say I'm there, verse 28, come to me, where? See, with Mary, it was hooking up with Jesus. In Mark 6, it was coming away with what? Jesus. In Matthew 11, it's what? Coming to me, be with Jesus. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You're well running low, come where? Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, when the well is full. When the well is empty, the yoke is unbearable. 
But the point to, I want to make to you, he says in both these phrases, you're going to get rest. Write this down, meaning restoration. Meaning that the well is going to be refilled. I'm going to place you in a place uh, spiritually where you're going to function on all cylinders, and emotionally and mentally, you know, physically, you're going to function at a higher level because the well is full. So what we find out is the, the things that we do in a devotional life, we're, we're hooking up to Jesus, amen, in vital union, in living contact, and what he's doing, and he's giving us the rest that he promised that he would give you. How many know he's not going to say something, promise it, and then not do it? Now we know this. We know if we've had a quality time of prayer, we feel restoration when we get up. We know this. But what we know and what we practice are not always the same thing. If we all live by the revelation that we have right now, mm-hmm. amen, a lot of things would be different in a lot of places. But there are things we know, but we're not necessarily doing. Come to him and he'll give you rest. Whenever you connect with him in living contact, your well is being filled. So there are two choices, but they are choices. Come on, shout it out, choices. No one's making you do this, or no one's hindering you. Don't play that game. You're making a choice. One choice, come to him and be refilled and restored. Avoid him and be empty, including avoid him and keep doing things for him. Doing things for him does not fill the well. Doing things for him empties the well. What you want to do is, you know, be with him and then serve out of that seeking. What does this mean? We're to seek him as well as serve. But a lot of people just serve and they're bone dry. And there's no real victory. There's no joy. There's no peace there. They need to learn the value. Everybody say it. Two choices. It's, it's never going to change. You know, I don't have to preach on the one thing. I can just simply tell you that the Mary, Mary Martha syndrome will never change throughout your entire existence on this planet. And it's always going to be a choice. Every day, am I going to be a Mary? Am I going to be a Martha? Get it tomorrow. Mary or Martha, what's it going to be? You know, worried, upset, distracted about many things, anxious, or am I going to be in peace because I put him first and got my well filled up? If you hear today say, I'm here, I'm making a choice. Here's some signs your well is run dry. Again, there's no condemnation of those that are in Christ Jesus. That's not the point of this. The point is to exhort you to spur you on to love and good works, to put you back in position so you can function at your best. Amen? Everything's better. Amen? You feel better mentally, emotionally, physically. Amen? Your marriage goes better. Your kids, amen? Your dog likes you better. Everything's better when the well is full. Number one, a lack of results. We talked a lot about miracles, signs, wonders, the fruit of a Christian. When your well runs dry, you don't get results. What does that do? That frustrates us even more. You pray, you don't see anything happen. When you lay hands on somebody, nothing happens. We're looking for signs and wonders and miracles. And again, if you are the well, they're coming through you. If the well is dry, guess what? It's not rocket science. Nothing's coming through you because there's nothing in there to pour out to cause results to actually come. That's why we started with the teaching that it's not out there, it's where? It's here. Like last week, the wisdom and the intelligence, the divine intelligence, is not out there. Where is it? It's right here. As long as we have its out there mentality, we're going to be confused about our role and how important it is to stay connected 
and keep the well filled. You keep the well filled and you're going to get more results. I'm not telling you you're going to bat a thousand. I'm going to tell you, though, that with a well filled, you're going to get far more results than with a spirit that's empty. Amen. Number two, you've got a prickly demeanor. A prickly demeanor and spirit. Um, it is, isn't it? I'd rather like that myself. Um, prickly, we don't use that word a lot in, in, in American, you know, in Western English, but over in London, jolly old London, prickly. It means you, you're angry, short with people, bossy, irritable, worried, anxious. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Upset. All because the well has run dry, you're prickly. And prickly implies that you're being prickly to whom? To other people. Which, which means that, yes, you're identifying yourself as a Martha and you're identifying yourself as one who is prayerless. Amen. And it was all choice. Oh, pastor, don't say that. I have to say, we're prickly by choice. No, it's life, and it's this, and it's that, and they did this, and, and these stupid people over here, these jerks over there, and this person on the road over there. Nobody uses a turn signal in Kentucky. <laughs> Moving right along. I love the video that the Indiana State Trooper did. He says, there's amazing new technology out on the road. It's called a blinker, turn indicator. He said, you turn on here when you want to go right, and turn on here, you know, and... Who has not had the wonderful experience of going down the highway on 94 and somebody decides it's on a whim to turn into the Dollar General store with no turn indicator and 15 cars behind you squealing? Welcome to Kentucky. <laughs> but why is your response prickly? And that may be putting it mildly. I used to tease my mom, you know, she'd drive around Phoenix. You have to have a sense of humor and a thick skin to drive around Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, you think they're bad in Kentucky? I mean, these 80-something-year-old people try to make a left turn from the far right lane. <laughs> and I can hear her say, jerk! Can't believe that! And one day she said, I'm going to get a tank. Said, I'm going to get a tank. <laughs> and, uh, and so one uh, year we were at uh, Opera Mills at Build-A-Bear workshop, and I just had this idea. I'm going to build a bear for her for Christmas, for her birthday or something. I'm going to get a little voice recorder implant there, and you can take it back in a booth and record it. And I was going to record all the things that she says in traffic. <laughs> Put in that bear. I actually got to the point of recording it, but I had a wiser moment and didn't complete the transaction. <laughs> I didn't want to mean prickly at me. But, but you're going you're gonna to go through all kinds of things. That's not the issue, no matter what it is. And, and deep down inside, you know, it's true. It's, it's where we are in terms of the well that's going to ultimately determine how we respond in any situation, and all of us have our own ability. We can make a bear for all of us and put a chip in there. Well, the things that we say when we're a little bit, what? 
Prickly. Look at somebody and say, prickly by choice. Come on, shout it out, prickly by choice. You talk about a great t-shirt, amen? Prickly by choice. No. Number three, emotion ruled. When your well runs dry, the loudest voice in your life is the voice of emotion. It's the one you're regularly heeding. This is where it gets bad because now you start alienating people. You start making horrible decisions based on how you feel emotionally. It's a terrible way to live. And all that would be mitigated if you just have that, uh, you know, that priority with the Lord. Stay connected to him and keep your well filled. Uh, every bad decision a Christian ever made is because the well wasn't filled when they made it. I mean, there's enough deception out there for people who have the well filled. You're making dumb decisions, you know, it's because something's wrong right here. And what will happen is your emotions will take over because it's the easiest portion of you to manifest just spiritually. Uh, you're born again, you're perfected, you're, your spirit man is glorified, but how many know our emotions aren't there yet? Amen. In fact, I'll just tell this to you. Uh, why did Elijah, after all of that track record of excellence and obedience, why did he suddenly disobey God? Emotion. Why did Uzziah, after being trained at the feet of Zechariah, why, after all the success he had, one of the most successful kings, and not just in, in terms of his era, but in terms of the history of Israel, one of the most successful kings in the history of our people, why did he end so badly inside an area he never should have been and raging at the priests? Emotion. Amen? And I can hear the high priest saying, a bit prickly today, king? What a tough place to be in because he could take your head off, literally. But that's exactly right. He was prickly, more than prickly. And what? Boom. We've talked about the, the rich young ruler. Jesus was offering him everything. And he turned him down. Why? Because he felt something. Amen. Glory to God. So when you find yourself, uh, you know, dry, you're going to, easily tend to be more emotion-ruled. That's dangerous for believers because we're supposed to be spirit-directed. You can write this down. You can't be spirit-directed unless your well is full. You're going to default to the natural whenever there's an absence of the connection in your life. Again, we're not talking about I'm going to hell because I made a bad decision. If that were the case, we'd all be there already. But you're not living God's best and you're not allowing God to use you like he could if you would get a hold of this principle. Number four, stepping out of God's will is a sign you're, you have run dry. It doesn't take long. Um, how long did it take Elijah? Boom. One step, one decision. You can step instantly right out of the will of God and you're more likely to do that when the well is empty. And right now, you know, God needs his people where they're supposed to be, on the active ready. It could be as simple as, you know, you want to go to this store, but the Lord keeps telling you, I need you to go to this store. Then you find out there's a divine appointment there waiting for you. But what if you didn't listen? That person that was supposed to be ministered to is not ministered to. Now, that's a simplistic thing, but how many understand that the consequences are usually much more severe than that? Um, the further you go in the things of God, the more important it is for you and for me to be wherever we need to be when we need to be there. 
regardless of how you feel. Your mind's screaming at you, emotions are screaming at you, people are yelling at you, but you got your well filled so you know what you're supposed to do and you can stick to your guns. Amen. Amen. But uh, when, uh, when that level gets down, it's much easier for us just to step right out of the will of God. Well, well Pastor, how do I get back in the will of God? Is that permanently disqualified? If that permanently disqualified you, we'd all be in trouble right now. Because we'd all be permanently disqualified because at one time or another, the well was not where it should have been. And we stepped right out of the will of God, did something, said something, went somewhere that was not of God. And yes, there are always consequences for that. There's no question about that. But Jesus prayed the simple prayer, and it talks about this in the Word of God. You know, here am I, I'm here to do your will. Everybody say it with me, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He'll just pick you right back up and place you where you're supposed to be. Amen. That's called the grace and the mercy of God. The problem is that grace and that mercy towards us cannot undo the damage that was done while we were in disobedience. Or it cannot fix and replace the assignments that were left unfulfilled while we were on our hiatus. And we're in the end times right now. Everybody say the end times. Say it again, say the end times. This is not a time to play games with it. It's the time to get really serious about our walk with God. And, well, that's just for you preachers. You know, you should obey God. No, every believer should obey God. You're a soldier in his army. You should do exactly what he tells you to do. Number five, you compensate with the flesh. Um, you know deep down the power's not there, so your flesh rises up to try to compensate. How do you understand? You can put your flesh to work, and it can do its best, but it's never going to compensate for an empty spirit. It's never going to happen. You can have a certain measure of success. You can have a certain measure of victory. You can have a certain measure of things working out for you. Uh, but there's no comparison between what your flesh can do and what God on flesh can do. Say it with me. Flesh versus God on flesh. When the well is empty, you're limited to flesh. When the well is full, it's what? God on flesh doing what? Flesh can't do. And again, this is not a season for us to run around trying to compensate. We, we, we're doing that by choice. Just when you see these things, you see a lack of results, and you see yourself being prickly, you see yourself being emotionally ruled, and you see yourself making dumb decisions, and you see yourself you know, trying to compensate for the power that's not there, just step back and say, there's a simple reason for this. God's not forsaking me. He's not mad at me. I'm not lost. I'm not going to hell. I just need to start again the things I know deep in my heart that I've let go. I need to go back to what? The fundamentals. Dribbling, shooting, passing, running. If I do those better than anybody else, guess what? I'll be an all-star. That's the bottom line. Look at somebody and say, you're an all-star believer. If you master the fundamentals. Number six, resurgence of areas of sin and compromise in your life. A resurgence of areas of sin and compromise in your life, which means you had victory over those at one time. But those victories are not produced by the flesh. Listen carefully. They're not maintained by the flesh. Those victories are produced by the Spirit, and they're maintained by the Spirit. So if you let your well go, go dry, don't be surprised when something of compromise or sin creeps back up again. Now, obviously, your first response to that should be repentance. Amen. Everybody say repentance. Um, at the same time, if you don't go back to the basics and the fundamentals, you're going to continue to struggle with this. 
One of the greatest examples I've ever seen of this is Brother Copeland smoked for years and years and years, three or four packs a day. And he went to the Hilton Sutton meeting in Humble, Texas. It was a three-week meeting. Back then and there, there's morning sessions, afternoon sessions, night sessions. This went on weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, he remembers just putting the, um, the cigarettes in the, in the visor and going into the meeting. And day after day after day after day, he noticed he wasn't even you know, attracted to him anymore. And after three weeks, drove back home and never smoked another cigarette. What happened was a filled well separated him from even the desire to smoke. Did you hear what I just said? Yes. Not just the stronghold of the chemicals, but the desire itself is gone. And so when the well is filled, the desire to sin is gone. Sin is, is put in check. You see, everybody has to sin. That's the voice of somebody that knows nothing about the well. If the Bible says, let not sin reign in your mortal body to obey the lust thereof, that is not a verse that tells you you must sin a little bit every day. In fact, I'll tell you in this room right now, there are people you have lived days without sin. No. Surprisingly, yes. Some of you are down to a few hours, but keep going, you'll get there, amen. Some of you are working on minute by minute, amen, today. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten seconds without sin. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're on a roll. What happens is the presence of the Word and the Spirit of God, it sanctifies you or separates you from things that are unholy and separates you unto God. So if you are drawing near and hooking up and staying in vital living contact, keeping your well filled by staying connected, what's going to happen, it'll separate you. For him, it was cigarettes. For you, it could be something else, whatever the case may be. But there's a resurgence of areas of sin and compromise in your life. And note this, sin will dry up the well and with it the desire to be filled. So if you just sit there and do nothing, it's not going to get better. Eventually, you'll lose all desire for the things of God, all desire to be connected at all. The Bible reading, the prayer, you know, Everything associated with your devotional life will go out the window and you'll be living totally basically in the flesh, trying to live a spiritual life in the power of the flesh. That's not going to work. Staying filled and keeping your well filled will kill any desire to sin. Hallelujah. How many like to kill any desire? Get filled and stay filled. And number seven, disinterest in spiritual things. Disinterest in spiritual things, in gatherings, meetings, even disinterested in the people of God, i.e. church. That's not an indicator that things are well for you. Now, you and I can make all kinds of reasons for why we are disinterested in the gatherings and the meetings and the services and the ministries and the fall festival and the Sunday school teaching and the serving and the cleaning and everything. We can make up all kinds of reasons as to why that is, but at the bottom line, at the, at the real core issue is something's not right with our own personal walk with God. Come on, there's now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But a funny thing happens, there's, there's two rails that your life runs on, like a railroad, like, a, you know, like an engine. And one is the, the rail of personal devotion, and one is the rail of, of, of corporate involvement or fellowship. Say so, I mean, personal devotion and corporate fellowship. I'm emphasizing the one rail tonight, not to de-emphasize the other. 
But I'm telling you that a funny thing is, is the more you develop that personal life, you keep that well filled, you want to have that corporate fellowship. These are not designed to be one or the other. To maximize your spiritual life and the results in your life, you have to have both of them. I'm going to say both of them. You have to have your devotional life, but you also have to have your corporate life. Say, well, you know, to make a difference if I'm there or not, you know, nobody needs me. You'd be amazed what your smile on the face can do. Amen. Or if you come in frowning, somebody can go, you know what? Well, at least I'm not that bad. Either way, you served a purpose. Hallelujah. But more often than not, guess what? You're adding something to, not taking something away by being involved in this. Say it with me. The personal rail of devotion. The corporate rail of involvement. But what happens is when your well is running dry, uh, you lose really your taste for those things. And, and folks, I can tell you one thing about COVID-19 and the church in America. And, and again, if this doesn't apply to you, then say praise the Lord and keep walking. But I am telling you across the board in this nation that the relationship coming out of COVID with the local church indicates a very poor devotional life of people personally. No question about it. Because if that rail was healthy, people wouldn't let the devil himself stop them from being in the house of God. I don't care what COVID says, what this doctor says, what Fauci says. Amen. You know what I heard the other day? I heard if you take the vaccine and you're pregnant, your baby comes out looking like Fauci. What a terrible thing that would be. Please... Don't let anybody define for you as a child of God what you're supposed to do. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You use wisdom in these areas. Come on, confess it. My child will not look like Fauci. My grandchild will not. Um, (laughs) But what's it going to be next time? Its name is COVID now, but what's it going to be next time? When you've been, when you've been in, and right now we have brothers in Canada being arrested, pulled out of their churches for basically preaching the truth about the Word of God and the things of God, the morality and all kinds of things, including their opinion on matters related to COVID. But how many you know you should have free speech? And they technically do, but then te- we technically we do as well. Is it being threatened right now? When a parent shows up in a school board meeting to talk about what's wrong with, with critical race theory. And then the Attorney General of the United States calls her a terrorist? See how you frame it? That's all you have to do is just frame Well, that's not free speech. That is terrorism. And everybody's little reactionary moments, you know, occur all over the country. Terrorism, that's right. She's a terrorist. Her name's probably Karen. She's a terrorist. No, she's just exercising her free speech. Just like Condoleezza Rice did on The View and told them what's wrong with critical race theory. I don't have to make one color feel bad to rise up another one. And she had to know something because she grew up in it. I say, and I posted this, she's the smartest one always in the room. Especially when she's on The View. She's definitely the smartest one in the room. They can't keep the smart ones. They all leave. Huh? What's wrong? I'm not going to do a message. I'm just simply telling you that, that Dr. King 
wasn't just preaching things for his benefit or for the benefit of the people who looked to him as a leader. He was preaching things out of Revelation. That's right. I don't mean the book. <laughs> I mean Revelation. That his dream was that people would judge his children. And I believe he wasn't just talking about his first generation. By the content of what? Their character and not what? The color of their skin. CRT fundamentally is to define people immediately by their appearance. Judge them and basically indoctrinate them based on that. And all that does is instill racism wherever it is taught. That's the consequence. What, uh, what can help us with this? If, if we emphasize color, we are never going to get to the character of a man or a woman. But if we will emphasize character, we'll never care what the color is. CRT amplifies externals rather than character. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And a lot brighter minds than, than mine are taking this on. And thank God for people like Condi. I hope God just elevates her and promotes her and puts her back in office, does something great with her, because she can speak to this issue with a level of authority that none of us ever will. Amen. But what is, what is going on, you know, um, is, is really kind of sad. I mean, I saw a picture today of a little... Uh, Little white baby couldn't have been more than six months old. And there was a black man at the DMV, and it was crowded with people waiting to either get their driver's license or be tested or whatever. And uh, this little boy was kind of uptight and anxious, and so he just went over and crawled in this man's lap. This sat there, and he was looking up at him, just smiling to this guy, and the guy's just sitting there taking care of the little kid, having a good old time. You don't tell me you're going to start teaching that kid CRT in kindergarten? He instantly just saw the character of the man. And he saw instantly the character of the baby. Whichever one you see first, you're going to be stuck with if you're not careful. And you want to be what? You want to permanently judge people by what? By character. Hallelujah. Amen. Is there diversity? Yeah. Have you noticed how diverse white people are? I'll just leave that right there. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Apparently one of y'all needed that tonight. That's nowhere in my notes. Amen. But you should speak up against these things. Write this word down, division. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. And whatever it is, you should oppose it, resist it, so I don't want to be any part of that. Amen. Glory to God. Say it with me. I'm a unifier in Jesus. Wherever you find the spirit of division, you're going to find the devil and all of his evil, all of his wickedness. Amen. So say this with me as you break this down tonight. Lack of results, prickly demeanor, emotion ruled, stepping out of God's will, compensating with the flesh, resurgence of sin, disinterest, in spiritual things, gatherings, meetings, and the people of God. When the well is full, you want the private and the corporate. 
Amen. And if you've not been really, you know, into the corporate, there's a reason for that. Don't come under condemnation just simply say, you know what? I obviously need to be in a better place spiritually or I would value the corporate. Amen. Certainly more than what this world says about anything. It's going to be real important for you to realize that this world's not going to shut up, but neither are we. Amen. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. We're the ones on the victory side. So I want to give you what I call tonight the five-finger devotion. It's rocket science. You're not going to believe it. It's just so far out there, you've never heard these things before. The five-finger devotion. Why? So you can get a grip on spiritual growth. If you do all five of these, everybody say five, consistently, daily, you will find yourself growing and continuing to grow like you never have before. Ah, do one or two, you may see some sparks of growth here and there. But if you do all five of these, you're going to have a grip on spiritual growth. Look at somebody and tell them, get a grip. How many know in 2021, we need to get a grip? A five-fold, a five-finger devotion, getting a grip on spiritual growth. First, and this is shocking that I would say this, but prayer. In all of its various forms. We're going to give you four main categories here in School of Prayer. We'll probably will break each one of these out and talk about them individually and their value. But number one, this is where you start, confession and repentance. Every day. Say, so if I don't have anything to confess, then confess the word. The Spirit of God brings something to your remembrance or repent of it. You don't want anything between you and the Lord when you're trying to establish a time where your well is being filled. You want nothing between you and Him. It could have been a word out of season, a thought. It could have been an action. It could have been anything. It could have been something from years ago that He has never brought to your attention because now you're on a growth mode and you can actually accept what He has to say that that was, in fact, wrong-headed to do or to say. So in prayer, confession and repentance, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. They're both good to read at this time. They're also both good to quote in the context of your prayer of repentance and confession. In fact, Psalm 32 is one of my all-time favorites. It's wonderful. Psalm 51 tells you and me that if David can get right with God, amen, you and I can get right with God, I, will, I said I will what? Confess my transgressions. The second element is praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Scriptures like Psalm 118. So I'm praising him, not just the church when we come here and open up these doors and enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise, but you praise him at home. You worship him. Uh, there's so many ways for you to, to, to download and have available great worship music. And if the old stuff you know, floats your boat, amen. Uh, Kelly likes stuff that she was raised on that uh, I don't necessarily, doesn't really float my boat. In fact, it probably sinks my boat, but that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, and then, uh, you know, one night I was, was trying to sleep. It was on a Saturday night for church on a Sunday, and there's this one song. I don't remember what it was, but she played it over and over and over and over and over again. By the time I fell asleep, it was at least 15 times. What was that song? It'll be burned in your memory by now. <laughs> 
But it's, uh, you know, the Southern Gospel style, everybody has their own brothers, what really ministers to them. That's the important thing. Does it minister to you? Does it actually draw you in? Whether it's the old Maranatha stuff, or the contemporary stuff of Bethel, whatever it is, you know, why subject yourself to something if it's really not ministering to you? And then find what it does. But use that and enter into a time of praise and worship and thanksgiving. Before you start diving into everything you want him to do or think he should do or should have done, how about thanking him for what he has done? How about thanking him in the context of this prayer components for everything God has done in your life? Everybody say, thanksgiving. Third category, supplication and intercession. You can add petition to that. Supplication refers to things that pertain to you. Petitions where you go to the court of heaven with scripture, with writs, and lay your case before him. Intercession is where you stand in the gap for somebody else. Um, you use my prayer time to intercede for somebody else. You're already doing that. When you pray for that husband, you're interceding for them. When you pray for the pastor, you're interceding for him. Amen. When you pray for that Sunday school teacher, you're interceding for them. So it's not real confused. Uh, these elements are not rocket science. It's, it's, it's like this. It's great that we know what they are technically. It's doing them. It's doing them that fills the well. And the last is praying in the Holy Ghost. Romans 8, 26. Uh, you should spend a portion of that time praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, if you do this, it's going to help fill your well, but it is not the only element that's needed. And I've already said this, the connection between keeping you well filled and praying in the Holy Ghost, you know it's critical to pray in the Holy Ghost to stay filled. Stay on active ready. Number two, Bible reading. Bible reading. Um, that's our manna. Faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Well, that's your job. No, I'm talking about feeding every day your spirit on the Word. Very simple prayer uh, concept. And now I'm going to give you a very simple Bible reading concept. Just use the 5111, you know, model for Bible reading. Five Psalms every day, one proverb, one Old Testament chapter, and one New Testament chapter. Over the course of a year, you will have read a ton of Scripture. Say it with me, five... One, one, one. Five Psalms, a proverb, an Old Testament chapter, and one New Testament chapter. And you can certainly break this down into a couple settings as your time allows. But that Bible reading is critical. Everybody say five fingers. You want to get a grip on spiritual growth, you need prayer, and you need Bible reading. Now, we're, we're Bible people, aren't we, church? We believe in the integrity of this Word. But if we're not taking it in, it's not nourishing us. It's not the word we know that nourishes us. It's the word that what? That we're actively hearing and receiving. The taste of a steak last month is not nourishing you today. Real enough, but it's doing nothing for you today. Number three, devotional of some kind. Uh, a book, sometimes dated by 365 days. Some great ones out there. Jackie has a very good one on miracles. And I'm sure she'll be glad to share it with you. And uh, one of the things I like about it is you're not going to find any unbelief in that thing. It's very rare that you can get a devotional and not be filled with religion and doubt, fear, and unbelief. But that's not in her devotional. It's also not in Faith of Faith by Kenneth and Gloria. Uh, Oswald Chambers, as old as it is, that must be for his highest. You're going to find some things that maybe some revelation was needed on. But overall, you're going to find a very wholesome companion to your Bible. 
to read. Why? Because you're getting things in. You're getting revelation. You're getting impartation from people that are of like precious faith. They're giving you scriptures. Uh, Rick Renner has 365 days of increase. Uh, 365 days of power is another one. Just be careful. If you're unsure about somebody's devotion, just, just say, hey, here's an email. I'll send it to the pastor and let me just tell you what I think about that. But there's a reason for this. It's going to build your faith day by day. And, then, and oftentimes you'll read something that day, and that very day God will prepare you to deal with that situation. Because that brother, that sister spoke to that situation in your life. And it's amazing how God will use a simple tool like that to help us. So prayer is one finger. Bible reading is another one. Devotional is the third finger. Fourth is journaling. Your prayers, your thoughts, your revelation, any mandate from the Lord, any correction, any to-do list, journaling. Now, a simple notebook like a Hope Harbor you know, college uh, notebook, the ones that we have here, a nice leather one, and making a difference, you know, something, a legal pad, doesn't make a difference. And I'm not even talking so much about how you do it because there's technology out there to do it in different ways. But I'm going to tell you this just as, as simple as I can. People that journal grow faster than those that don't. And if you're, you're here today and it's not a practice that you do, uh, I'm just telling you, I just gave you a secret to cause yourself to grow spiritually the rest of this year and beyond. Now, you don't have to even keep them. Maybe some of you are afraid that somebody's going to read them, and, well, if you want to, do it and burn them. Uh, Pope John Paul II, before he died, he left this order, I want all of my journals and writings burned. I do not want them kept. I do not want my personal relationship with the Lord being exposed even to the church, even as, even as the Pope. And hopefully they did that. I don't know. I mean, he has no power one way or the other to make sure it happens. He's dependent upon his Catholic family to make sure that it happens. But I'm telling you that it does something. God will speak to you. You'll write prayer requests down and see him answer those things. Seeds you have sown. And then all of a sudden he brings a great harvest in there. It's amazing the tool that it is. And there's some seasons that you're more motivated than others. I understand there are seasons of that. But if you're wanting to take your walk with God up a notch, get yourself just a simple notebook. Put the day at the top, put the day and the day, and then whatever he speaks to you, you may see something in a scripture, you may say something to you while you're praying, you may get something out of that devotion, write it down, record it. When he speaks to you in the night, get up. Keep that journal nearby so you don't have to go rummage around trying to find something in the back of an envelope. But it's all in one place, the things that he has told you. Um, this is one of the most powerful things you can do to grow. Now, Contemporary Western Christians don't get this, but the ancients knew this. The early church fathers knew this. That God can speak to you as you're writing in ways that you don't pick up in other ways. Um, I don't know why, all other than what I've told you, but it is an anointed way for the Spirit of God to commune with you um, and feel your well. And it has the added bonus of reading later on to say, hey, I was really an idiot back then. <laughs> you know, uh, some of mine go way back. And I'm going to tell you that they're not all sanctified. But I can tell you this, in, in cries of the heart written down and things that we might have dealt with as baby Christians or baby ministers, what uh, uh, Brother Barkley calls, what he's called, baby, baby preachers, uh, questions that were then answered now because of time and wisdom and years, it's amazing. You can look back on that. But I'm telling you, this doing it as a practice in real time, even a few days, weeks, or months later, you can see God's hand in your life. It's faith building to do it. Number five is faith teaching. Where you listen to one to two MP3s, messages a day, that you know are going to be faith building. Now, the length of the speaker will determine how many you can listen to. 
you can probably get away with one half of one Brother Copeland message, three-fourths of Brother Art message. Some people preach real, real short. But some people that preach real, real short don't say that much. So don't just look for the short message. Come on, shake your head. Yeah, Pastor, that's good preaching. Amen. Give me some more. Give me some more. Give me some more. And right now, we are just absolutely awash in resources in the Western church. There's more stuff on our website right now. It would take you years to go through. If you did one to two every day, I promise you'd bless your life. God would speak to you. It would take you years just to what's on the website right now and take you another 10, 15 years to get through what's on Keith Moore's website right now. And if you don't want to go there, then go to KCM's website and you'll find people like Jerry and Greffel and others in glory that are teaching and you just soak it in. But everybody doing this will tell you that if they listen to a few messages every single day, they're walking at a higher level of faith and victory than, than when they didn't do it. All I can tell you is, is what works. This isn't about things you've never heard before. This is about filling your well. Say it will be fill my well. Fill me up, Lord. All the way. In Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to say it again. You put all five fingers on this to get a grip on spiritual growth, and you will grow like you never have before. Do a few of them, you'll have some growth. Maybe read your Bible a little bit and pray a little bit, you'll have some growth. But if you really want to grow, put all these into practice. If you're wondering about, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jackie's devotion, I'm sure you'll, she'll let you take a look, and those are available. I'm sure you have ones that are left at first printing. And uh, it's uh, you know, just, just you can go through them. And then as you go through one, you can get another one and go back through them. I have one faith to faith I've been through so many times, it's got duct tape on it. That's right, it's confession. Pastor has duct tape on something. And it's actually holding that old book together. Timothy bought me a new one as a present, and I haven't gotten into it yet, but there it is. And why would I duct tape? Because it's got all kinds of things I've written in it. God's spoken to me. Amen. He's ministered to me. But there's something that will help you go to the next level. And the Lord will even show you. Lord, what, uh, what devotion do I need to read right now? Uh, brother, uh, Sister Gloria did one on love. It's about that thick. And every single day is about walking in love. Some dimension of the love walk. Um, if you've been a little bit prickly, maybe that's, that's the one for you. Amen? There's probably a little note in the back that says, this is the devotional for prickly Christians. You can get in <laughs> and go to town on it. Can you receive this today? Say it with me, prayer, prayer. Bible, reading, Bible reading, devotional, devotional. journaling, journaling. Faith, teaching. faith teaching. Get a grip on spiritual growth. That's how you get a grip. Amen. Now look at somebody and tell them, get a grip. Let's give the Lord a hand clap and just praise Him for it. Amen. Thank you, Father.